Welcome to Life Springs with Pastor Craig Swanby. Each week we bring you a message of hope, love, and encouragement inspired by the Word of God. At Life Springs, it's our goal to win people for Christ, train them in God's Word, and send them into the world to share the gospel. We hope today's message inspires you and encourages you. Today is called Jerusalem Day in Israel, and I want to just share a little bit about what that is. Today they are celebrating on the Temple Mount, they are celebrating at the Western Wall, they are waving their flags, (coughs) and they are declaring victory. So uh, Jerusalem Day, or what they call Yom Yerushalayim, I love saying that, the Hebrew Yerushalayim. Jerusalem Day is uh, a national Israeli holiday that commemorates the (coughs) reunification of Jerusalem, (coughs) excuse me, and the establishment of Israel control over the old city or East and West Jerusalem after the Six Day War of 1967. Now it's interesting because that had not happened uh, since there was a was not a unified Jerusalem since the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So in AD 70, uh, the Romans came against Israel, or excuse me, came against Jerusalem, and they totally destroyed Jerusalem. And I mean literally brick by brick, they tore down everything. They tore down the temple. What they did is they set a fire in the temple. <coughs> And the temple was filled with gold, and the walls were covered with gold. And so to be sure that they extracted all the gold of the temple, they literally took down stone by stone the temple walls to extract the gold that had melted and seeped into the cracks of the temple. So I mean Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Now here's what's ha- what has happened. Here's where confusion lies between uh, Israel and Palestine and the Palestinians and all that kind of thing. You may not know this, but there really is no such people as the Palestinians. And um, the, the country of Israel has always been Israel's after it was established, after it was taken from the Canaanites, because God gave them that land. And in fact, it's interesting because if you were to really see the borders that uh, God gave to Israel, the borders extend all the way to the Euphrates River. When you want to talk about the West Bank, if you really want to throw someone off, say, which bank are you talking about? Because it's not the West Bank of the Jordan, it is the West Bank of the Euphrates that God gave them. Much more land than is there today. But, uh, I've got green. Oh, and I hear myself too. All right. Excellent. So, anyway, that is what they are celebrating Jerusalem Day, Yom Yerushalayim Day in Israel today. But, of course, Uh, This is the weekend where our country celebrates, and I shouldn't say celebrate, but commemorates Memorial Day, a day set aside every year to remember the sacrifice and dedication of brave men and women who defend our nation. It's a federal holiday, also considered the official start of summer. Uh, A lot of people flee church on the Sunday of Memorial Day to go camping or do some fun summer thing. And uh, you almost kind of get it with the spring that we've had around here. I mean, it's actually kind of nice today. So, um, but it's also originally it was known as Decoration Day in the Civil War. Uh, The government allowed people to go decorate the Confederate um, 
graves, and so it was called that. So uh, are you guys aware that poppies are kind of a thing for Memorial Day, that some men wear poppies on their lapel? And it, it, it was kind of a thing. I don't see it much anymore these days, but... Um, is it? Because, because they said... Because they said it was for Memorial Day in the study that I that I read. Okay, well, it must be for both because the the historical things that I looked up talked about this in several different places. So um, I'm going to just read this anyways because it's very interesting. Why poppies? Lieutenant Colonel John McRae, a physician with the Canadian Expeditionary Force, wrote a poem called "In Flanders Field." Its opening lines refer to the field of poppies that grew among the soldiers' graves in Flanders. And this is the poem. In Flanders' fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row. That marks our place, and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly. Scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, short days ago. We lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from falling hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' field. So we want to pray. Um, and give thanks for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country today because of the brave men and women who've died for our freedom. We also want to pray for um, the community of Uvalde, Texas. Of course, a horrible tragedy happened this week, and uh, a tragedy that, of course, um, the left, the liberals, the global elites will try to take advantage of once again to get rid of the Second Amendment uh, because they never waste a crisis. But my prayer this week has been, Lord, I pray you will not waste this crisis. I pray that this crisis will lead to a national revival. And so let's pray for that. First of all, Lord, I want to thank you for this country that we live in and the freedoms that we enjoy because of the willing sacrifices men and women uh, have made over the since the birth of this country, Lord God. We're so grateful for, uh, um, for the blessings that you've bestowed upon us. Lord, there's a reason why you made us one of the greatest... Um, armies and, and navies and marines that the earth has ever seen to protect this country, to protect the covenant that was made with the uh, early settlers in this country with you, that this would be a land dedicated to you. And Lord, it has been at times. And because of that, you have blessed our country greatly, more than we deserve, Lord God. And yet, we seem, since the 60s, we seem to have lost our way. And uh, it seems as if uh, the dark forces have been placed in every position of power and authority uh, in all the pillars of our community. And Lord, when we look with our natural eyes, it looks like a, a helpless and hopeless situation. 
And yet, Lord, we know that that's the kind of situation that you do your best work in. And so, Lord, I pray that um, on this Memorial Day, as men and women are gathered in churches all around this country, and they're praying and remembering this great country and the reason why we have this great country, because of the blood that has been shed for this country, uh, Lord, we join with their voices and we pray, God, for revival. We pray for revival for the United States. And, um, Lord, we remember the families and the community of Uvalde, Texas. Lord, we can't even begin to imagine the pain and the suffering that they're experiencing at this point. Lord, we don't need to pray for the children because the children are safely in your arms. What was a departure on our end was a homecoming on your end. And we know those children are safe. But Lord, we also know that the families have to go the rest of their life with an emptiness in their heart and in their soul where that child once lived. Lord, I pray this sacrifice would not be in vain. This shedding of innocent blood would not be in vain. I pray it would spark a revival in Uvalde, Texas. I pray these families who feel hopeless and helpless would turn to you and find the hope and the help that they need. And I pray that that revival would, would spread out to uh, the surrounding communities and spread out to the surrounding states and spread out to this country from border to border and coast to coast. Lord, we desperately need revival. And Lord, you tell us in your word that judgment begins in the house of God. And so Lord, let revival bring, uh, begin here in this house. Lord, bring us as your people, to a place of breaking, to a place of repentance, to a place of sorrow, to a place of grief for how we have let you down. And Lord, I pray, spark revival in our hearts. We can't manufacture it. We can't set aside a week and call it Revival Week. It's supernatural. It's something you have to do in each and every one of us as an individual. But Lord, you've done it. You've done it in the past. You're doing it in places today. And I pray, Lord, that you'd do it here. We pray for revival in our church and the surrounding churches that, uh, that teach the word of God and that uh, trust in you. We pray for revival for Spokane. And we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are back in 1 Corinthians and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 13. And I've entitled this Lessons from the Wilderness. So, my opening question is, is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? You know, there's a lot of people who think they're two different gods. Oh, the God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment. He judged everybody and he killed everybody and he was just a mean God. He was just up there you know, with a big old stick and he was mean all the time. But gosh, the God of the New Testament, Jesus, he's loving and kind and he never hurts anybody and you can do whatever you want, live any kind of life you want because he's a God of love. There are people that literally believe that. But you know, God showed um, mercy in the Old Testament. Remember David and Bathsheba? That sin that David compounded, adultery compounded into murder, and, and then it compounded into lies when, a, you know, when a, the prophet Nathan finally confronted him. I mean, Nathan could have declared over David, stone him, he should die. God could have killed David 
for the sins that he committed. And yet God showed mercy on David and Bathsheba. In fact, so much mercy that Solomon came from them, the wisest king to ever rule over Israel and to ever live in the world. Um, but God also showed judgment in the New Testament. Remember the names Ananias and Sapphira? What happened to them? We're in the New Testament. So what? I mean, don't we all kind of tell a little fib now and then? Aren't you glad you get away with it when you do? <laughs> because I'll tell you what, Ananias and Sapphira did not get away with it. Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell some land because people were doing that. The church at one point in Jerusalem had all things in common. They were selling their goods and, and their land and things like that and throwing it into a common pot. And that's kind of how the church got started and how they supported uh, the, the mission of spreading the gospel. Ananias and Sapphira decided, we'll sell some land, but we're, we're going to tell Peter that we sold it for this much, even though we got more than that, because we want to keep some back for ourselves. Sounds innocent enough, almost like the kind of thing anybody would do. You know, we've got a piece of land for sale across the street. Hopefully we have a buyer. I think we might um, be praying for that. Hopefully we can get it sold soon. Um, by the way, I mean, this week I went over across the street and talked to um, uh, was it Vlad? Vlad. Have you guys ever met Vlad? You guys have been here for a while. Do you know who Vlad is? Vlad is our neighbor right across the street. A wonderful man and a brother in the Lord. And as I was talking, he said he might be interested in buying it. We got to give him some information. Hi, guys. Welcome. But uh, as I was asking Vlad if he might be interested in the land, we started talking. He says, oh, yeah, I go. He's, he's from Siberia, Russia. So very thick Russian accent, which I won't try to imitate. Uh, I don't want to insult him. But through his thick accent, he's telling me, yes, I go to the church. It's a Baptist. I think it's a Baptist Russian type church in downtown Spokane. And he says, oh, and he said he was friends with Brian. And he said, oh, I pray for you guys all the time. I pray for your church. And, and uh, I was like, man, that is so awesome to know there's a brother like that right across the street that's praying for us, isn't it? Anyway, so we, you know, we... So let's say we sell that land and we get so much and we say, God, God, we're, you know, we sold it for this much and it's different than what we sold it for because, well, let me, let me say it this way. How, how happy would you be with me if I told you guys, yeah, we sold it for this much, but we actually sold it for a little bit more and we kept back some for Deborah and I because we need a new car. Would you be happy with me? Yes. Never happy with liars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit isn't happy with liars either. And he showed that he is not only a God of mercy, but a God of judgment, even in the New Testament. It's important for us to know that the Bible is one book with one message from Genesis to Revelation. It is a love letter written in blood from Genesis to Revelation. The message is that God, that God wants to deliver you from the power and authority of sin. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the church that think they can fake it till they, till they make it, or they can work their way to heaven. We talk about that a lot. If you are not fully surrendered to Jesus and walk with Him daily, you are a false convert. No matter how many church services you attend, prayers you pray, if you were baptized or if you take communion, that does not save you. I wanted to tell you another story this week that happened that was really fun. 
the, the not fun part was that Tim has moved into the house, the parsonage across the, across the driveway here. And when he went to take his first shower, it flooded the bathroom. So, um, fun thing. So, I try, trying to find a plumber that could come out right away. The soonest they could come out was a week. So, for a week, <laughs> he didn't have water there. Well, it was actually a week and a half because they came out, assessed the problem, and then it was several days later before they could come out and fix it. Well, they, they did come out and fix it on, what day was it? Wednesday? Thursday? Thursday. And um, so, the guy that came out the first time was the same guy. His name's Sam. Pray for Sam. Because after he was done, and I had to write a check for him, I came in here and I grabbed one of those $100,000 stacks, uh, Gospel of John. And so as I'm handing him the check, I'm handing him one of those. And I said, so Sam, I'm the pastor of this church. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, do you have any sort of spiritual belief? And he said, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, it's complicated. <laughs> He said, I was raised Catholic. And then he kind of shared a few things. And then I, I just got to share the gospel with him. You know, I asked him who Jesus was to him. He said, well, a very wise man that we need to know more about. I asked him if he had a Bible at home. He, did, he, he didn't have a Bible. Unfortunately, I didn't have one I could give him. Um, but I said, you got that gospel of John. I said, I encourage you to read that gospel of John. And I just shared some more things with him. And he was very open and very receptive. And when I was done, he said, thank you. Thank you. And I handed him one of my cards. I said, hey, Sam, you know, I mean, this is our church right here. And this is the kind of stuff we talk about on Sundays. You know, glad to have you come and join us sometime. So pray for Sam, because I think his heart was uh, open and receptive to the gospel. And so that was exciting. Was that? Uh, well, I hope the change is his salvation. So anyway, moving on, um, as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we realize that um, Israel is a warning of God's judgment to us. The warning that God gives us through Israel is that no matter how many blessings they experienced, it did not guarantee the final blessing. So why did Israel perish in the wilderness? Despite the miracles they experienced, what did they do? And you know there was an amazing amount of miracles they experienced. And yet they refused to believe in God. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So Israel had five remarkable blessings and privileges as they journeyed to the promised land. They had the cloud of God's presence. Can you imagine how amazing that must have been to see this huge supernatural cloud that led you by day wherever it wanted you to go and a pillar of fire by night to protect you? They passed through the Red Sea. I mean, the cloud is a pretty amazing miracle, but can you imagine what that must have been like? I think about that quite often. When's the last time you guys watched the Ten Commandments? I mean, back then, you know, how Cecil B. DeMille made that uh, 
that uh, thing happened. You know, they don't have CGI back then. And so it was a closely guarded secret of how, you know, he made, made that happen. But it, it looked pretty real, you know. I mean, back when I was a kid and I saw that, I was astounded to see this miracle. But can you imagine being one of those people walking through and seeing, I don't know how many feet high, those, that, those pillars of water on both sides. I've often wondered if anybody who was walking near, if they could look in and see fish swimming around, you know, or so, I mean, did, did somebody, you know, kind of run their hand through it or something like that? You know, you just kind of wonder, but uh, probably most of them were running for their lives because it had to have been a terrifying thing. It's like, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I hope you're merciful enough to let me get to the other side. Um, and it's funny, you, some of you have probably heard this story, but maybe some of you haven't. You know, there are those critics who say it was not the Red Sea that the Israelite, Israelites passed through. It was the Reed Sea, which is only nine inches deep, which is an even greater miracle because that means God drowned the whole Egyptian army in nine inches of water. <laughs> Israel had Moses, the greatest prophet that ever walked the earth, as a type of Christ. And he was also considered the most humble man that ever walked the earth. Boy, talk about a man that should have rejected these stiff-necked, complaining, murmuring people. It is Moses. I don't know how he ever put up with these people. He shouldn't have put up with these people. And yet when God himself said, stand aside, Moses, I am about to destroy these people. I will raise up a generation from you and make them the chosen people. And you know what Moses did? He fell on his face and he cried out for, their, for mercy from God, for their souls. What an amazing man Moses was. The next thing is they ate water and drank food that was supernaturally supplied to them. <coughs> Wouldn't that be nice? So, I don't know. I mean, maybe after years of eating the same thing every day, it could get a little old. But still, wouldn't you and I kind of feel this sense of, of gratitude that God supplied it at all? You know, he didn't have to, but he supplied this manna. But no, they immediately start complaining. They want meat with their manna. So God sends quail. I mean, God ends up answering their complaining uh, murmurings time and time again. And still, they are not happy. They're not satisfied. And of course, they had the presence of Christ with them. Christ was there in their midst, uh, orchestrating this whole move to the promised land. So the tragedy of Israel is this. Over two million men, women, and children left Egypt. What an, an amazing thing that Moses had to <laughs> try to keep in line. How many of those two million remained faithful to God when it came time to enter the pro promised land? Anybody know? Oh, you know. That's not amazing. Out of two million people, two Two believed God. In fact, I want to read this passage to you. It's found in um, Numbers 13, starting at verse 30. It says this, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave 
the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, that came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. Chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. How many in the congregation? All the people. Verse 2, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. <coughs> well, you're going to get your wish. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our... Uh, bread, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the meeting before the children of Israel. And that is where, as we read on, it's where Moses intercedes for the people. Two million people, and all but two rebel against the Lord, would rather go back to Egypt. But isn't that true sometimes of people that we know? They get a taste of the goodness of the Lord. You know, it's like uh, the parable that Jesus talks of the seeds that are planted. And some seeds are planted and they sprout up quickly, a lot of excitement. You know, they really, they really want to move forward in the Lord. But then the cares of the world chokes it out. And the, and, and the vine withers and dies, and the seed dies. And we see that, you know, there are people that get excited, and then they just, uh, but they don't follow through. And, you know, at, no doubt at one point, the children of Israel, they were excited about this thing. It's amazing how much they saw up to this point. And still, I mean, if God can part the Red Sea, can he not take care of the sons of Anak, the giants in the land? Sure, they were terrifying, terrifying creatures. And yet God, I mean, they had, seen, they had seen the demonstration of the power of God over and over again. Just, it's just amazing. Verse 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. <clears throat> so Israel lusted after or craved the food, the, the land, the comfort of Egypt. As a result... A plague ended up breaking out among them and killed many of them. 
God hates lust. And, you know, this society that we live in absolutely incites lust in every one of us all the time. Do you know that is the sole purpose of Madison Avenue or of advertisements? You know, when you see them in your magazine as you flip through, as you watch them on television, it's amazing to me how many times I've seen advertisements. I was quite content to live just as I was living until I saw the advertisement for something that I absolutely needed and my life would never be the same until I got it. Have you ever been that way? Wow, I, I didn't even know this existed, but now that I know, I need it. I've got to have it. Amazon is great for that, isn't it? Be careful when you start searching through Amazon because it tells you, and it's even worse than that because Facebook does this. It'll give these little thing of 37 gadgets that will change your life. And I have to click on that every time. Ooh, what are those 37 gadgets? Never seen these gadgets, never heard of them. But man, it's amazing out of those 37 gadgets, I need at least 15 of them. God hates lust. You know what God loves? He loves us to be content with what we have and with where he has us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be consumers and buy things. But, you know, aren't we all a little bit guilty sometimes of, of impulse buying? You know, it's like, uh, I'm fine. I just, like I went, to, um, I went to River Ridge hardware store yesterday just to get some screws. But I, in, I, I left with a 7-Up. <laughs> Because, you know, they, they do this on purpose. They put this stuff right there as you're checking out. It's like, oh, I didn't know I needed a 7-Up till I saw one. And I haven't had a 7-Up for a long time, so I really need a 7-Up. But we all do that to, to one extent or another. But just remember, God hates lust. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. So, um, you know, God wants us to see ourselves as sojourners and as pilgrims in this world. We don't need to, we don't want to get too comfortable in this world. Um, now, that doesn't mean we have to go buy a bed of nails, you know, and we don't need to get a whip and, and, you know, beat ourselves to make ourselves right before God. Some religious people think they have to do that. But we are, we are supposed to avoid those things that uh, make us a little too content to live in this world. I think that is a real danger. I think it's a real danger for, for all people. Um, but, but I, I, I even saw that in my kids for a season. I don't really see that anymore in them. I think maybe we grow through that at some point. But I saw it as kind of a thing where, you know, when they were younger, oh, you know, I want to experience the things of this world. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to buy a home. I want a nice car. You know, I want, I want, I want, I want for me. And we can get into that mindset, and that is a dangerous mindset. I want this for me, so I have all the creature comforts, so I'm comfortable in this world. And yet God tells us in his word, we're not to get too comfortable in this world. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't have some creature comforts, but we always have to remember that we are stewards of everything that God gives us, that we're not the owners. And you know what? The more stuff I've owned over the years, the more I realize that it owns me. You know, I... Uh, I have a, a pressure washer, and it, it, it was, it's a professional-grade pressure washer that um, 
I just got it serviced a year or two years ago, and I pulled it out to use it because I want to pressure wash the church. I want to pressure wash our house, and I can't get the stupid thing started. And I spent two days, hours and hours, changing everything, doing everything I know to do. So I'm calling a small engine place, and I can't get them to call me back because, of course, they're all busy this time of year. And, you know, it's, the, it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like, this is owning me. I don't want this to not work, you know. And so we're kind of actually, you know, we're one car short in our family right now. We drive cars until they die, and the Cadillac died, so it's, it went bye-bye. And we only have one car. I do have a motorcycle, but the weather hasn't allowed me to ride it much. But, uh, you know, we're down to one car, and it's a little bit inconvenient at times, but it's kind of nice, too, because we don't have the insurance. We don't have the upkeep. We don't, I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons. You know, sometimes I think, oh, maybe we don't need another car. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, if, if we have too many things, they start to own us. Um, verse 7, do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The children of Israel demanded that Aaron make them a golden calf as an image of their God. And when he did, they started partying and dancing and behaving immorally. They, literally, it just turned into a big orgy. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. God hates sexual immorality. If we don't get anything out of reading the New Testament, we should at least get that much. Because he says every place, flee sexual immorality, flee it. Get away from it because it destroys you. It destroys you and it destroys your relationship with the Lord. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. In this case, to tempt Christ means to try his patience, to see how far you can go with sin and get away with it. Have you ever been guilty of trying the patience of the Lord? Yeah, we all have. You know, it's like, I want to walk this way. Lord, I know you want me to walk that way, but I want to walk this way. I want to do this. Lord, I know you want me to do that, but I want to do this. We try the patience of the Lord, and we're tempting him. <laughs> we're tempting him to go, okay, judgment. Thank God our judgment doesn't, doesn't happen in this world. Our judgment happens uh, at the Bema Seat of Christ. Now, correction can happen. He loves us as children, and He will correct us uh, if we try Him too much. Um, Jesus might let us get away with certain sins for a season, but He knows all and He sees all, and there will be a time when He corrects you and disciplines you as a child. So discipline is something loving parents do to their children to teach them right from wrong. And don't you wish more parents actually believed that this day and age? Uh, the school where my wife works is filled with kids that are just running amok. There's clearly no discipline in their home. There's, they've never, this, these children have never been told no once in their life. And so, you know, uh, thankfully most of the parents I know know how to discipline their kids in a loving way, but in a firm way. Verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. The children of Israel were always complaining and murmuring. God finally had enough and let them perish in the wilderness. How many of us complain and murmur against God? How many, and don't raise your hand, I don't need to see. 
You know, no one has to say, oh, I've complained and murmured 10 times this week. This isn't, this isn't uh, priestly confession time. But, you know, it, you should be confessing that to God if you have. I've murmured and complained 10 times this week. Um, I imagine I did some murmuring and complaining when I was working on my, on my pressure washer. What's really frustrating is after lots of work on it, I finally got it to start, but it would start and then, and then stop. It would start and then it would stop. I could never get it to start and stay started. So it's beyond my ability to know. And that does have a tendency to really frustrate me. Um, and I probably did some complaining about that. Lord, why do I have this stupid pressure washer? Um, so, how many of us complain about God's direction for our lives? God, I didn't expect you to do this in my life. God, I expected this. God, I expect this from my health. God, I expect this from my church. God, I expect, you know, we have all these expectations, but sometimes God doesn't allow us to see those expectations fulfilled. And about, you know, what about what the church is doing or what the church isn't doing? We can complain about that. We can complain about the pastor's message. Are we going to be in 1 Corinthians forever? No, just another couple years. No, I hope not. <laughs> Here's what Philippians 2, 14 and 15 say. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so really, that is our purpose. You want to know what your purpose is in this world? Shine as a light. That draws people to Jesus. Now that light also repels. When you start to shine the light of Jesus, there will be people that don't want to be around you. They don't want to be around that light, that holy light. But there are those that are hungry. And I, I think that we are surrounded by people that, that we interact with and we don't realize how hungry they are to know the things of God. And it's our responsibility to shine that light and let them know. Um, verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to to bear it. One thing we learn from history is that we never learn anything from history. And of course, the saying is those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. And we're in that cycle again in this world. Anti-Semitism is at an all-time high since the Second World War. And it's just the setup, our culture and our world is being set up for the ushering in of the Antichrist. The demonic forces of this world have never been stronger, but um, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And so we live in a, a time, an era of great peril. Just heard today about how China is planning on invading Taiwan. That could easily spark World War III. 
there are so many things going on. Of course, <laughs> Israel has done so much attacking in Iran. I am surprised that World War III hasn't already started out in the Middle East. I mean, it's, there's, there's going to be retaliation. There has to be. It's just a matter of time. We live in, a, in, in perilous times is what Scripture says. But we also live in one of the greatest times where God has the opportunity to move through His people. But His people have got to be willing to let Him move through them. We have got to be more committed and submitted to the Lord than we ever have been in our life. Because God does want to do a work in you and through you. He really does. And, you know, you don't have to make it happen. You have to let it happen. You have to let God work through you. Amen? So um, God didn't spare his own chosen people from judgment when they sinned against him. And God will not spare us either. When temptation comes, we do have a way of escape. It's calling on the name of Jesus to deliver us. So my question is, what sin is plaguing you right now? What are the sins that are in your life that um, are what Scripture calls presumptuous sins? We just do them. Don't even think about it. It might be our attitude. It might be thoughts that go through our mind. It might be actions that we are doing. But what are they? What sin is plaguing you? Is it complaining? Is it grumbling? This is a real easy season for us to live in. In fact, I was doing a little bit of complaining and grumbling on my way to church today. Uh, life gets overwhelming at times for all of us. And, uh, you know, living in a home where my daughter is, her medicines aren't quite balanced yet. We're still trying to figure out. And she just has behaviors that are driving us crazy. My mother-in-law is in frail health. You know, I literally have to go in and check on her every day because she naps a lot. She sleeps a lot just to make sure she's still breathing. Uh, and then my wife, you know, as you know, her health is not good. Her uh, you know, her knee's getting worse. She's still got two weeks and four days before her surgery. And I don't know that she's going to make it. I don't know how she's made it this long. But all that stuff piles up. And then my pressure washer broke, of all things. <laughs> it's, it's enough. It's the straw that broke the camel's back. And I just, honestly, I'll just be honest with you guys. I was sitting in my easy chair this morning, and I started to have a panic attack. And I started to think of all the people that probably aren't going to show up here today. People that I pray for regularly. People that I love. People that I want to see here, and they don't come. And it breaks my heart, and I start to think, God, it's too much. It's too much. And I told Deborah on the way here, it's too much. And guess what? As soon as I confessed that, the Lord started to give me peace. And he reminded me, it's not about you. You know, it's not about you. It, it is about me. Rest in me. Don't be tempted to grumble and complain because it doesn't, it doesn't get you anywhere. So that's my confession today. Um, what about sexual temptation? Is there anybody here that's dealing with sexual temptation? Most of us men at some point in our life have to deal with that. And um, uh, we've got to get serious with God about that because it will destroy you. What about idolatry? Is there anything in your life that uh, you love more than God, that you desire more than God, your relationship with God? Anything that holds a higher place in your life than your relationship with God is an idol. So you know what? I'm going to close by singing one more song. Um, oh, come to the altar. And you don't need to come here, but in the altar of your heart, um, 
as I sing this song and as you sing with me, allow the God, allow the God, allow the Lord to work on your heart. Let him reveal anything that you might be dealing with right now and, and to get rid of it. Leave it here. Leave it on this altar. Leave it in this sanctuary so that you can walk free. We're wa- walking into a new season. You know, Memorial Day is the um, uh, kind of the unofficial beginning of summer, right? And so as we enter summer, let's enter free. Let's enter free from sin. Enter free from those things that, uh, that challenge us. Praise you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you'd move in this place today. Move in every individual heart. Lord, there are those here that need a healing touch in a desperate way, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and touch every person here that needs healing. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I pray that you'd pour out your revival spirit in our hearts. Give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness unlike anything we've ever had before. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, enter into a new week, Lord, that this would be a week where you bring people in our path that we can shine the light of Christ into. God, give us wisdom, give us boldness. Give us a passion for the lost souls of this world. Thank you, Lord. And we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Life Springs Ministry is made possible through the generosity of people like you. To learn more about today's message, visit us at lifespringsfellowship.com. You can also join us Sunday mornings, 1030 at 4213 West Garden Springs Road in Spokane, Washington. Also, you can find our daily devotions on Facebook. See you in church.